Debates about poverty and inequality have hit the headlines throughout the year, especially in the run-up to the general election. As the year comes to an end and friends and family prepare for Christmas, what do those who are struggling think would make a difference for them? We want to lift young New Zealanders out of poverty. The way to do that is uh, through moving families into work. Just before the elections, the Prime Minister, John Key, set out his party's aims when it came to solving poverty issues. But the problem hasn't gone away, and in the last two weeks, inequality has again come into focus, with an OECD report saying this nation's disparity has come at a cost to the New Zealand economy. Analysis by the world's leading economic think tank said the trickle-down theory doesn't work. Fairer treatment is advocated by Labour's Grant Robertson. What we need is a focus on both redistribution but also on making sure that we don't allow people to get into those circumstances in the first place. But what change would those struggling to get by like? I'm Philippa Tolley and in this insight we hear from the people, not the policy makers. From a single father in Nelson and pensioners in Taranaki to a family in Auckland and Farnau in Northland. Beginning with reporter Lois Williams who's been chatting to people in the small town of Morewa inland from the Bay of Islands. On Moirewa's main street, State Highway 1, the log trucks rumble past boarded-up shops, barred windows and sad little houses in need of a lick of paint. The town that once bustled with industry has fallen on hard times since the economic reforms of the 80s shrank the freezing works and closed the dairy factory. And Moirewa's whānau, the ones who haven't left for Australia, learned long ago to do what they have to, to keep the home fires burning. He's in Christchurch, he made the big thing, he's not overseas, but he's all the way down in Christchurch. And he was just ringing back to say, there's some work down there for guys, you know, just to do labour work. Ngaho Davis, the chair of Moiriwa's Community Trust, is always on the lookout for jobs for the locals, most of whom scrape by on benefits. The trust set up a community business that's employed dozens of people, insulating thousands of old homes under the government's Healthy Homes Initiative. But recently, more Moiriwa men have been leaving town to work in places like Christchurch or Perth, leaving their families behind for weeks at a time. Mr Davis says splitting the whānau is sometimes the only way to save it, but it brings a new set of stresses. Now this guy's been down there for, away for four months, and he's a plasterer, that's his background, and a bit of a painter. And he did work around here, but just not consistent enough, because people don't have money. So what sort of impact is it having on his family? Well, I mean, his family, oh, major, just, you know, not to have your dad around. He's got a lovely wife, and she's doing really well, and lucky she's got good whānau around. But, you know, just not having your father there, and he's got, you know, five kids. So you can imagine, you know, for some mum, and he wants to be back. He was just telling me he thought they were going to get back on the 17th, but because of the big push, they pushed it back to the 23rd. So, you know, he's really worried about trying to make it back to for Christmas. Awe Kone is a senior manager at the Moiriwa Trust and a budgeting advisor. She and her husband raised a family of seven in the small town and living frugally, they got by on just her husband's wage until their youngest child turned six. These days, she says, that would be much harder, if not impossible. A beneficiary forced to pay $200 a week for a house with holes in the ceiling has little left over for healthy food or heating. Um, I don't know one parent who doesn't want the best for their children. 
But what's different is that they lack resources. I mean, they can't even go to Kaikui to do shopping because they don't have a vehicle. So they have to do shopping here, which is good to buy local, but you can't get the same impact for your dollar as if you went somewhere like New World or Countdown. Our shops here, they, they are good. They try and shop, cater for our needs, and quite often you can get specials. But it's still, your buying power is much reduced because when you're on a benefit, you can't go far. So you, you're reduced to just having more to work to shop in. You know, there's no clothing stores here, so we get a lot of trucks coming in, selling um, things um, where you can pay off, like on credit. Um, but the costs are so high. Awe Kone says it's not just the ubiquitous trucks who prey on the poor. She's helped more than one elderly person who signed up for goods they didn't want just to get rid of a door-to-door salesperson who wouldn't take no for an answer. She says tweaking tight budgets is one thing, but much harder to fix is the poverty of spirit, the loss of hope ingrained by a lifetime of doing without. How do you get them to know that they can want something hard enough? Because they've been down for such a long time. There's a story about flea in the bottle. Put a flea in the bottle and it jumps to the lid and bangs down again. Gets to the bottom, jumps to the lid, jumps to the lid. Take the lid off, it keeps jumping to the lid. Even though the lid's not there, well, it's like that. A big part of our journey is to help people to think further afield, not just right now. But it's not only Māori who find themselves on the poverty line in the north. Anne's a Pākehā mother in her late 40s, raising two daughters in one of Whangarei's leafier suburbs in the house she grew up in. She's been on a single parent benefit since her partner decamped, and over the years she's done cleaning jobs to help make ends meet. But she has a nursing degree, and this year, with the girls getting older, she decided it was time to use it. To her dismay, she found she had to go into debt to get back into the workforce. I have a registered nurse's qualification, but having been out of registered nursing for the length of time I was, I had to do a certificate to get my uh, practising certificate up to date, and that was a 12-week course, and it cost around just under $1,800. And I went to Wins to see if they would help me with that, but they were unable to because it was a level 7 course, which I think means because it was higher education. If it had been a level 3 course, I would have got some financial assistance, uh, so I didn't. So I had to get a student loan to pay for that. Also, the course was online, and I didn't have a computer at the time, so I needed to borrow money also to get the computer and also then to be able to set up internet access at home. Anne imagined life would get easier for her small family once she passed her practising certificate. So far, it hasn't. She's applied for dozens of nursing jobs, but employers want experience. She did win a short-term contract for two days a week at the hospital, and she's since found part-time hours as a health researcher. At most, she's about $50 a week better off. But because of the new debt, her outgoings have increased. The state takes back a percentage of her wages for her benefit, IRD claws back $50 a week for her student loan, and secondary tax takes a whack as well. Anne says work and income makes the necessary adjustments to her benefit quickly and without fuss, but she still feels as if she's been punished, not rewarded for her efforts.
I have been coping. Like I feel like I'm a good manager, and I've managed financially all these years. But lately, I've been feeling quite down about it. It's really getting to me because I'm only just getting. I'm only getting older, and the kids are getting older, and nothing seems to be getting any cheaper. And you know, you can manage from week to week so long as nothing goes wrong. If your car breaks down, then you end up using you end up you having to use your visa card or something to get parts i'm very lucky i've got a friend who will fix my car but i still have to um, pay the parts and then rego i only ever do three month regos because i never have the total outlay to do a year or even six months and even then it's just week to week and it's robbing peter to pay paul constantly i did think it would get easier and I am happier when I'm working. It is a really good feeling, and I totally agree with everybody when they say it is good to be working. But then all the complications are there. You've still got to sort out the children and all that. And I know everybody does, but when you're a single mum and you don't have a family around, it is quite difficult to rely on other people. Anne says if she were Minister of Social Development, she'd do more to encourage people like herself trying to break out of the poverty trap. I would make it better. I would change the secondary tax. I would lessen that so that you are earning more because it doesn't seem fair. Like We've gone really, like I've tried really hard to get ahead, but I still feel penalised. While Anne's facing work difficulties in Whangarei, my colleague Robin Martin in New Plymouth has been speaking to two of the city's senior residents about the constraints that are part of their everyday life. When Alan Smith left his quake-damaged pensioner flat in Christchurch several months ago to move back to his childhood home of Taranaki, he was in for a shock. Confusion over automatic payments meant the 83-year-old was temporarily left penniless and the former army medic went without food until the situation was sorted out. I went to the MP's office and she was fantastic. She put me on to, to different ones like uh, the early abuse and, and so on. And she was very helpful. She even rang uh, with an income to find out why my benefit wasn't going to the council. And in terms of not eating, did you not just go and ask, didn't feel that you could just go and ask somebody? I don't like begging for things. My mother brought us up not to beg. But it's coming to the stage where if the government don't think twice about the elderly, there's going to be a lot either going without food and carking it, I will say that, Mr Smith, who is estranged from his four adult children, now lives in a New Plymouth District Council bedsit in Marfell, one of the city's poorest neighbourhoods. But he's hoping to move into a larger Housing New Zealand accommodation soon. To get a place in one of the pensioner units, people must be on an age-related benefit and have assets worth less than $35,000. Mr Smith survives on the standard living alone superannuation of about $370 a week. He says once his rent of about $100 a week, medical expenses and regular bills have been paid, he has just enough to scrape by on, as he explains as he goes through his supplies. Well, I just bought uh, these jams because they were on the special. 
they grow on the special about three dollars something, and I bought those on the special. Those were all, all on the special. Up the top there, I see you're preparing for Christmas. Yes, and they were all on the special, and that's yeah. the only way I can combine it is when they're on the special. Yeah. What else do What else do you have in the cupboards here? And let's just see. I'm stocking up. I'm stocking up slowly with porridge, wheat bix tin food. Have you got much in your uh, two dollar fifty a week fridge? No. See, see, there's not, there's not much in there at all. See, no, there's not much going on there. You don't like to stock up, or or you just can't. No, uh, I just can't afford it. John Key thinks a pension goes a long way, but it doesn't. Mr. Smith says there's a simple solution to the day-to-day -day hardship he faces, and he would like a hand from Prime Minister John Key when the time comes to step off this mortal coil. Up the benefit, up it, not down it, up it, up it to a livable state of living. What else would make a fundamental difference for you? Well, I was thinking, oh, what well, if I can't afford that? John Key will have to pay for my funeral if he's still in power then. While some pensioners say they are struggling, others are getting by using a combination of good budgeting and skills developed over a lifetime. Inglewood pensioner Cliff LeBeau's green thumb and keen eye for a bargain mean he is able to squirrel away a few dollars at the end of each week. His skills in the garden mean he doesn't go hungry, and in fact he supplies many of his neighbours with vegetables. It's uh, been a shocking weather all year. Uh, this year I'm... Uh... We're miles behind because I'd be just about picking tomatoes now. You see, look at these tomatoes in here. They should all be outside. They'd normally be by this time. But, uh, no, so I had to keep them in here. They, they, they're working all right. Look at them. And, uh, you know, if I've got cabbages, cauliflower there, silver beet, the damn, see, the season is wrong because the parsley has gone to, uh, no, the uh, celery has gone to seed. So that I've got some uh, capsicum. Mixed capsians coming on there. There was, there was a four in there, but it's only three now, thanks to the cat. Dug one out. Do you find all this, all the like having all this, uh, all these vegetable plants helps you save a dollar or two? Oh, that, without it, yeah, you'd be struggling a lot harder. That's for sure. So you know, I don't have to pay two dollars, four dollars fifty or so for cauliflowers or cabbages and stuff. I got, I got them here. And it's much easier to let them grow in the garden there and just grab them when you want to. Cliff LeBeau, who once worked for the Security Intelligence Service, counts among his forebears some of New Zealand's earliest French immigrants. The 83-year-old's one-bedroom unit on Rata Street, Inglewood's main thoroughfare, costs about $112 a week. But he says he doesn't require any financial help from his adult children who are spread around the country. Well, I find it, uh, it's a bit of a struggle sometimes, especially if you've got to go to the doctors and then you've got to pay the chemists. Uh, but uh, by being a bit frugal, you can get around it. And uh, when I go shopping, I find that uh, I look along the shelves and, and get full of best things, and it's hay tissues that I go through quite a bit. Uh, I find that uh, you can buy tissues, uh, you know, 200 tissues for, say, $1.95, but up the shelf a bit further, you'll find them $3. A firm believer in the free market, Mr LeBeau reckons New Zealanders pay too much for many goods and services, and lower prices for power and staples would make a real difference to him. 
Well, I, I don't like seeing looking to see handouts. Uh, I, I don't think that's that's the way. Uh, you know, uh, probably uh, a rebate on power or something like that, especially when the government owns the uh, the power stations or did own them anyway. I think that sort of thing and uh, the costs of medicines in New Zealand uh, and the local hospital and the hospitals and all that, it's just far too dear. Cliff LeBeau would like to be able to afford to see his family more, but my colleague in Nelson, Alison Hossein, has been speaking to a single father who is trying to make ends meet with children still at home. What would you like on your toast? You've got honey too. Kiss me, honey, honey, kiss me. I've come out to Victory Community Centre in Nelson to speak to Hawani Gordon about the challenges of living with limited financial means. So, Hawani, what is your day-to-day existence like in terms of money? Very minimal. <laughs> no, I don't have very much money at all. Uh, what I do have allocated does get spent on bills and, you know, my day-to-day needs. And what sort of assistance do you have with money? I'm actually a, a solo dad, so I'm on the wins benefit, a solo parent, sole parent, and that's, that just basically covers my rent, power, and whatever's left over is food, money. Yeah. And how do you make that money for food? How do you make that money last and feed you and your kids? By bulk. What the kids eat, really. You know, uh, they like chicken. So I get the big big bag, catering bags of chickens. I get a lot of bread and that from here, the community centre. Every day I grab a couple of loaves of bread. And no, just uh, what, what's around. Well, I get a lot of food from here actually, like veggies and stuff. It comes into the kitchen and fruit. Like the kids get all that at school and they get some to come home with as well. So it sounds like there's quite a bit of support in the community. Do you think that's the case around the country, or are you really lucky here? I think I'm lucky here. I think Nelson in the Victory community is is strong. And it only seems to be getting better. That's why I spend so much time here myself, helping out and doing what I can during the day, not working. Like I do the breakfast club in the morning. On Wednesdays we do healthy lunches. That's for 100-plus children all the time. And just basically if there's odd jobs to do around here, I'll just pot around and do them. That's just my way of paying the community back is helping out the staff here. I could be working or something, but there's just, there isn't that much jobs here in Nelson. Being a solo parent, I've got to find that job between school hours, and it's kind of hard. And you say about not many jobs sort of in Nelson. Do you think it's harder having less money somewhere like Nelson than it would be in Auckland or Wellington or Christchurch, or do you think people there have it worse? Well, I've lived in Christchurch within the same means as well, and I can get by fine down there. But like here's a little bit harder, you know, it's like a tourist town. So you're paying, locals are paying tourist prices. Like I mean, even if you got a spare 10 bucks at the end of the week to get fish and chips for the kids, it's three bucks for a fish and cross each other a dollar. There's little things like that. But no, I, th- I think it's, it's just the same. Cross each was a little bit easier. There wasn't as many places like this in cross That's why I've chosen to come back to Nelson. And do you think some people do leave the big cities coming to places like Nelson thinking it's going to be easier and then find it's actually harder? Mm, yeah, I do. I do. I've had a few friends try to do the move and they lasted uh, three or four months and they've moved back to where they come from. But then they're doing that as well as, you know, having all their family and that not, not around as well, all these support people and, you know. Can you think of anything that would make your life easier for you and your kids? I think just just helping them more, you know. 
what the children, the littlies, some more clothes, or you know, push bikes, you know, scooters, what every kid wants these days. But I, well, I can't afford to get them that. Um, that'll be a lot easier on them to get around, you know, because we don't have a vehicle. Even after school activities, that are more localised because you got to travel around and see us getting to places is, yeah, it doesn't work. More food banks, you know, just for the fact of food. Maybe even like taking over the food in schools I've been hearing about. So you can just send your tamariki to, to school and you know, they'll get lunch and stuff there. I mean, I'd like to see some of those politicians live on the, even the minimum wage, not a benefit. Give them a bit more of 40 hours of a minimum wage and see how much things change. Even for those families out there that do have jobs, both partners are working, now they're still struggling. While looking after children presents its own challenges, life can become even harder when health issues are involved. Karen Magnall, Radio New Zealand's Pacific Affairs correspondent, has been speaking to one such family living northwest of Auckland. My name's Sina Frost. I love it in Helensport, it's peaceful. It just feels like home, away from home. What home was that? Ah, uh, Sardinwall. Sina is 45. She has three children, the youngest is 13, and lives in the Rotafiri State Housing Area in John Key's electorate. There are times we are in poverty, um, you know, it's when all the bills are overdue or the rent. There are days we go without food. Um, it's about every day keeping depressed and at bay, feeling failure, really. I mean, I used to work two or three jobs. I've started small businesses. Sina has a form of spina bifida, a split spine. She lives with chronic pain and respiratory problems and has been told she'll end up in a wheelchair. Sina gets $475 a week from the Job Seeker Sickness Benefit and working for families. Half of that goes immediately on rent, utilities and repaying debt. I doubled the rent one week so I'd be able to get food fortnightly. So this week was shopping week, so this week you'll have fruit on the table, but then next week it's just have to struggle too. So we have to cook all meals. We hardly ever afford a takeout. <coughs> well, that's what I put out for tea, crump and fillets of fish. So that's a pack of tea, that's what, four ninety nine. So I always look for things for like $5. But these what, lamb pieces, you know, off cutting from the meat. So we buy those, it's cheaper, so if you get three of those... By the second week, they often run short of food. Sometimes Sina goes to the Auckland City Mission Food Bank, a 50-minute drive into the CBD. But sometimes, you know, the second week, there's no petrol in the car, but then I just make things like we got flour, you make pancakes for breakfast, we buy a bag, what, five gauge rice, and we just have rice and tea for dinner if that's... Sometimes whatever veggies, you know, the dry veggies, I quite often cut them up and make a soup. Five years ago, work and income assessed Sina as unable to work because of her deteriorating spine. She was put on the invalid's benefit, but taken off it a year later after she was deemed to be working too much to qualify. A few months ago, Sina reluctantly applied for the job seeker's sickness benefit. Staying on it is costly, more than $100 so far for medical certificates to keep proving she can't work more than 15 hours a week. Sina wants to work. Most of her time is spent online looking for jobs. I've been to about eight job interviews so far this week. 
I try and see whether I can get back undetected without being picked up the fact that I'm a high ACC risk. Does that mean that you're getting turned down for jobs because of that? Yeah. I've been turned down for so many opportunities because of my health. I can't lift. I can't sit for too long. I can't stand in the same place for too long. So the list just goes on. So I rest up for about a few months, get a whole lot of energy, and then I go get a job. And a lot of the low-income jobs nowadays, they like somebody that can work 16, 20-hour shifts. <laughs> so now I'll do the 20-hour shift, standing there, numb, my legs are both numb, and all I could think about is being able to afford my children's education, sports, the flash shoes they want so they don't get teased at school because they wear warehouse shoes. Sina's doctors want her to stop working and go back on the long-term invalids benefit, now known as the supported living payment. But that requires a specialist's report she can't afford, and she says the benefit alone isn't enough to survive on. But it'd be nice if the benefit goes up at least $100 more. Is that too much to ask? But if I get $100 more, I might be able to see something come out of my account a week. But at the moment, I think my bank account is a deficit of $40 because I didn't have enough money in there for my APs. Whenever Sina gets odd jobs, she gets hit with an immediate and often significant cut to her benefit. She says it would help to be able to earn more before her benefit's affected and for it to be abated more gradually and for a longer grace period before it kicks in. In the old days, Sina says, you had 90 days to notify work and income you'd started a new job. That's not like that anymore. Like now, as soon as you hit work, you've got to let them know. But it's easy for them to get you off the benefit, but it takes longer to get back on, and which it costs you more money to get yourself an income with wins. They actually need to go back to some, you know, some of those old rules just to, to write what's wrong in the system. Sina also feels a change in attitude is needed by work and income. I try and avoid walking into a women's office, even if we, I know we've got food advance and we don't have food. It's the way they um, talk to you. You're, you're young, you, you should be out working. Yeah, they, they very much uh, talk down, you know, um, they don't tell you what you're entitled to. Sina says poor people are falling through the cracks and in Rotafiti they have to fall back on each other. Every evening we always end up with an extra child. Our mum's not home from work yet, so the kids know to come here. It's a safe place for them to be. I'm always giving up my bed for the emergency accommodation or sometimes we get women's and children that are in a bad relationship. Sometimes people don't always pick up the phone and ring the agencies. Um, when their policies don't suit those people, we're the ones, you know, in the community that they get to and to. As well as coaching girls rugby at school, club and for North Harbour, Sina fundraises to help local kids with sports gear and fees. A few years ago, she started the Helensville Christmas Lunch for poor families who couldn't afford it themselves. So while we're on a benefit, they think that we sit on our asses and do nothing all day. But <laughs> should we spend that benefit not only send our own children out to educate, but we also spend it to get resources and to help others too. Meaning if I put 20 in my car for gas and take somebody to the hospital so their, their child can be seen, 
Yeah. My mate Helen said to me, you're not poor, Sina. You just keep giving away your wealth. <laughs> Some of the plans announced before the elections to help those struggling will be rolled out over the next year, such as free doctor's visits and prescriptions for children under 13. But many remain sceptical over whether real solutions to the problems of poverty will emerge. I'm Philippa Tolley and that's Insight, created this week with the help of my colleagues Karen Mangnell, Robin Martin, Alison Hossein and Lois Williams, and with technical production by Mark Chesterman. If you'd like to contact us, you can send an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send a tweet to rnz underscore insight. That's all from Insight for this year. We now take a break for a few weeks. But over the holidays, you can catch up with any programmes you've missed that might interest you from the Insight webpage. Have a great holiday, and Insight will be back with more in-depth exploration of the important issues on January the 25th next year.